Hey, let's pray and uh, and we'll get to work, eh? Loving Father, uh, how good, how good you are, that you draw us to Jesus, that in him we might be reconciled uh, back with you, back into a loving relationship with you. In Jesus, we are both, uh, we find ourselves convicted of our sin and forgiven of our sin, and we find ourselves adopted into your family as this new creation, and that we are being made increasingly in the likeness of Jesus through the work of the Spirit and your word in our lives, uh, through this shared fellowship that we have with your people. And this morning, as we look at what it is to say yes to the practical means that you have given us to live uh, this life of of discipleship, of becoming more like our Lord, of becoming more like our Savior, of becoming more like our brother Jesus, would you remind us of your goodness, that you love us and you have provided all that we need uh, to, to become more like Christ. And as Jesus said, to have life in the full, a life back in relationship with you. We thank you that it is because of Jesus' own ministry uh, for us, that your spirit alivens in us, our hearts, that we can approach you uh, like Father, just as he did. Come and, and just pray with you in, in his name. And we thank you for that. Amen. So last week, if you were here, uh, well, actually, if you weren't here, let me catch you up to speed. And if you were here and you were sleeping and you missed it, let me catch you up to speed as well. I shared with you how the church leadership had come to a place where we feel that God has placed uh, in this church uh, for, for now a priority of discipleship. Like that's what we think is going to be our number one priority moving forward for the next 12 months. And this, this, this priority of discipleship is going to be an anchor to this banner, to our, our mission statement, or whatever you want to call it, of knowing Jesus and making him known. But that's going to be one of the ways that we actually get some traction uh, in our lives about that statement. Now, if you want the backstory to how we came to that position, then you need to um, just jump online. I think you go to uh, freewaybaptist.org.au and all our sermons are there and you can listen to them and you can catch up. Now that we have this little side issue that I thought I'd bring into play, but now that we've identified this priority of discipleship, uh, we have the task, if you like, of, of working how that priority gets traction, how, how it is that it, it gets momentum here in our church and in our lives. Because just because uh, we sense it as a leadership and just because it's probably, I don't know, the most fundamental uh, aspect of Christianity, uh, the fundamental uh, pursuit that emerges out of Scripture does not mean it will just magically happen here. That has never been the case anywhere ever in the history of the church. And as we said last week, uh, it, it's not uh, compliant on our self-reliant activism, as in discipleship is not about what we are going to do, merely our own efforts, our working our way into things. And it won't happen uh, merely if we are passive, you know, and we go, oh, you know, it's all right, God will do everything. As Jesus described in, in Matthew uh, eleven twenty eight, he said things like, um, He's called to discipleship, to this, to this rest and peace, which is kind of like the passive part of the relationship, uh, also means that the soul is able to be taught by Jesus. That this, his burden for us, that the work that he has to do for us, the transforming of our lives is a light burden. It ain't going to crush us, but we aren't passive in it. There's, there's things to do. 
we will learn from Jesus about what it's like to be a disciple. It won't just happen. So last week we began to unpack it. We're going to do it briefly again. Uh, this very well concept of what it is to be a disciple. And we said uh, that that discipleship is just one of those words that, that gets used in churches at various levels to varying degrees and, and people have all kinds of ideas about how to be a disciple and we went through all of that. And no doubt that that is because Jesus himself uses this word. He takes this common expression, this common practice of discipleship and then he gives it unique qualities that are specific to those whose lives have been radically transformed by knowing him. One of those completely uh, new and unique things about uh, discipleship of Jesus is that he calls you. Disciples are called. He goes after his disciples. Um, if you read just a little bit before that Matthew passage that we just mentioned in Matthew 11, you will see how the Father and the Son work together to draw people into this relationship, to call people into this relationship. And we read, you know, nobody comes to the Father except through the Son and all these kinds of things. Jesus calls us. In Jesus' day, uh, functionally in Jesus' day, that was not the done thing. Rabbis, teachers, sages, they would all have people come to them. People sought them out. People came to them. That was respectful. That was dignified. A lot of ego there. Not Jesus. He pursues. Not because he's needy. Not because he hasn't got a lot of followers coming to him. But because he is demonstrating that becoming one of his disciples is all about grace. It's not about your qualifications. It's not about your ability to impress him with your learned knowledge. It's not about your whatever it is that you're going to present to join his team. Jesus initiates. Jesus calls. Jesus finds. We respond. We accept. We surrender. That's the picture of discipleship. And then we saw as we went through Matthew and we looked at Matthew 5 and the uh, Sermon on the Mount and we looked at Matthew 9 that disciples are defined by Jesus, his life and his teachings. And he was saying things uh, to them that his disciples, John 8, would abide in him, that they would almost share their very life of him. John 13, 35, that they would serve like him. John 14, that they would love like him. Mark 8, that they would deny all for him if they were his disciples. In Luke 14, that they would esteem Jesus above all other relationships. Luke 14 says that they would take up their cross. That means die to yourself and follow him. Jesus calls people who esteem him above all other things, trust him above all other things, love the community of believers through selfless service and radical generosity, and those who have died to self-interest, self-discovery, to find a new life in following Jesus, that description is the description that Jesus gives to his followers, to his disciples. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. And you might say, like others have put it in the past, that the disciples of Jesus are, are imitators of Jesus. They seek to be like him. Life of discipleship is... 
one of being called by Jesus, being defined by Jesus, and then obediently continuing his ministry in his power. And Jesus, who calls us to a life of being defined by him, then just sends us back out into our lives, back into our ordinary lives, or back into some extraordinary life that he has for us to minister in those spaces. And we say we minister with compassion and we minister with uncompromising truth. And that is what disciples are doing. And that's what we found in Matthew 28 at the end there. Imitating Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is not a path of self-discovery where you get to describe what kind of Jesus you are building in you, where you get to choose what kind of activities that you'll do as his disciple, how much time you get to spare, uh, you know, just put aside in following him. It's not a hobby. Being a disciple is not a lifestyle choice that you kind of give what you feel like. Oh, I might do a little bit of discipleship today. Discipleship is a takeover. Discipleship is is the death of one life and the beginning of another. That's what's symbolized in baptism. In fact, you know, if we were to run a quick survey of the Bible, Sandy was chatting to me about this the other day on the couch, and she's like, man, it's, it's all through the Bible. I said, thanks for the intro point we would find that God calls some people, that, that when God calls people, they don't get a say in the outcome of things or the way that they get to wherever God's calling them. They just get to say yes to trusting God, to trusting his goodness and to trusting the goodness of what God has for them. Right through. Noah, let's, Noah, hey, Noah, God, Noah finds favor with God. He's not because there's anything good about him. He may be just as jacked up as the rest of society, but God calls him out of that and gives him a mission to say, hey, I want you to build a boat. And he's like, are you kidding me? But he's called. And then God describes his life for the next 120 years. Abraham, just just messing around. They're just a bunch of polytheistic, multi-God people. There's Abraham amongst them. Nothing special about him. God grabs him and calls him and says, going to build a nation of people out of you uh where am i going not telling you just go and do it what's it going to look like i'll let you know as we go moses at least he had like a religious upbringing a little bit of religiosity behind him but that didn't help him one little bit because he still didn't get who god was until he met him at a burning bush and then god calls him and says you know go go and get my people out of egypt how am i going to do that don't panic about that i'll take care of that Samuel, you know, the prophet. No idea who God is. Here's him calling, here's him calling. And then, and, and then he said, hey, next time you hear, say, your servant listens. And then Samuel becomes prophet of Israel, leader of Israel. He didn't get a say in that. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. John the Baptist, go uh, make way, prepare the way for, for the Messiah. What's that going to look like? None of your business. Just go and do it. How's it going to end? Well, you're going to die in a prison, missing your head. Matthew, Jude, Judas Iscariot, John, James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the son of Zebedee, Bartholomew, and these disciples all just called. We saw that. We saw that last week. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't know about that, Jesus. Like, we fish all week. In the time we have spare, we, we, we want to do something else. 
Jesus is like, no, I will take your gifts and your skills and I will reuse them in following me. Saul to Paul, from persecutor to planter to preacher, Jesus calls and then defines the life. You, me, at some point Jesus calls and then at some point he says you're going to go and do something. Hey, stop stop building houses, stop laying bricks. Go build people. I don't know if I'm capable. Are you kidding me? You think this is about your abilities? No, this is about mine and what I will do with you as a disciple. That's funny that you think this is about you. It isn't. God finds them. God defines them. God sends them. Found me, sent me. The biblical principle of being called into a life with God. In our case, a life of discipleship means death to self-interest, death to self-dependency and trust, trust in the goodness, trust in the faithfulness of, of, of Jesus as he sets out what being a disciple looks like, as he leads us into what he's called us to do. And this week what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the concrete, practical ways the disciples uh, experience and, and participate in to, to enable this life of discipleship. Things that Jesus has defined himself as symptoms of knowing him, of imitating him. Jesus calls us and he sends us, but he also equips us. It's, it's not just go and work this out by yourself. He also gives us the experiences and the means to grow and mature as disciples. It's not this path of undefined self-discovery. And when it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to the life of discipleship, the first Port of obedience, if you like, is baptism. If you are a Christian living a life of discipleship, then it begins with baptism. That's the first step of imitation. That's the first step of following Jesus. That's the first public step of identifying with Jesus. Baptism is this symbolic, public act that speaks of this already existing internal reality that a person has died to a life of self-rule. And risen again to a life defined in Jesus, secured in Jesus, sustained in Jesus. They have realized that they are sinful and in need of God's grace in Christ and they trust him to forgive them. And his loving work on the cross. And we have phrases where we kind of try and get this in our heads. We, we say things that, you know what, you are far more wicked than you ever dare um, admit. But you are far more loved than you ever dared dream. That's what, that's what, that's, that's what the gospel is. It lets you know how bad you are, but then it doesn't crush you with that information. It actually flips you over and says, but even so, God loves you and has done this for you. And as we read through the book of Acts, that's what we see happening. When people respond to this gospel, they are then directed to get baptized as the first act of discipleship and obedience to Jesus. Out of the gate there in Acts 2.37 and all through the book. Now, this is difficult to explain unless Jesus has given it to these, this is to the church as a clear command just out of the gate. And that's what we saw in Matthew 28, yeah? 16 to 20. When Jesus instructs his disciples to baptize all subsequent disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Now, not because that's some kind of magic formula, but because it specifically identifies that person being baptized with the Christian understanding of God. Like lots of people in that day were getting baptized into different things. This identifies the person getting baptized with the God of Scripture, with the God of the Bible, of how the triune God makes them a disciple. Baptism uh, it is not merely about us either. It's not merely about what we're doing. It's not about what we just what we have to say to God, our commitment to Him, but perhaps more profoundly, if you like, what is being said in baptism is God's pledge to us. It's a symbolic seal of His on, ongoing relational commitment to us that is permanent, that is enduring. So when you have times when you feel like you've out-sinned grace or God is absent, then baptism speaks to you about God's covenant with you, God's promise to you. In baptism, God is saying to us, speaking to us, He is saying, you are mine, you are permanently mine. This can't be undone. You You belong to me. I am your good and loving Father. Jesus is your saviour and brother and the Holy Spirit is your strength and stamina and wisdom. These internal realities are real and permanent. It's baptism. Hey, if you're an an incomplete disciple and you want to get baptised, we are holding baptism classes the 14th, the 21st and the 28th of April with a baptism service, hopefully, on the 10th of May just before it gets kind of super cold uh, out there in the water. I don't know why we run these baptism classes running into winter. There is a sheet on the information desk there as you walk out, where you get your stuff as you come in. There's a sheet there, and you can, you can say yes to baptism and put your details uh, down there. Another prescribed activity of the life of a disciple is church. The community of people that arises out of knowing Jesus to be a disciple is to, is to gather together. The proper context for discipleship is community. Nothing Jesus says makes sense without the context of a church. It's impossible to be a disciple or, or to multiply without a church as the assembly point, as, at a, church, as a church, as the, as the teaching place, as the training place, as the, as the equipping place, as where we're encouraged to go back out into our lives in the world. The New Testament is full of commands from Jesus, instructions from Jesus and his apostles to do this or do that for one another. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, instruct one another, teach one another. Jesus' final command to teach people, to observe all that I've commanded only makes sense in community. As Francis Chan puts it, It is impossible to one another yourself. It is impossible then to follow Jesus alone. We cannot claim to be truly engaged in a life of discipleship if we neglect the church, if we neglect the church that Jesus created, the church that he died for, the church that he's left in our care. The last thing Jesus did before his arrest, before his death and his resurrection was to redefine the Passover and leave us with this tangible event to gather around. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. 
It's this gift that pulls us all together, that keeps us, that keeps at the center of our individual lives, this life of discipleship. And at the heart of that is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, so that we could be recreated in his likeness. And just as baptism is a means into the church, our communion is the, is the event that keeps bringing us back together. Fellowship brings us back together. And it keeps Jesus at the center. The church is where God displays what a community looks like when it's connected to him. What a, what a church looks like that arises out of the gospel. And we see that through the book of Acts, we see and, and the letters to the church that it, that it gathers together, that it appoints appropriate leaders, that it, that it encourages each other and commit and keeps each other accountable. We read there in Hebrews 10 that we had to, to stir each other up to love and good works and not to neglect coming together. To be a disciple is to be part of a family, to come into a new family. A family for orphans to gather together around our common experience of Christ and our knowledge of God as Father. Have you committed to a spiritual home? Have you said yes to a local church? If you think freeway is your yes and you are not already what we would call a partner, some churches call it a member, we're also going to be running partnership classes. No obligations. They'll be held after church on the 19th and the 26th and the 3rd of May. And you can just come and hear what it means to be in relationship with each other and to say yes to that. To be a disciple is also to live biblically faithful lives. And you're like, no kidding. Not, not biblically learned lives. Not, oh yes, I believe the Bible. Or, oh yeah, I've, I've memorized the Bible. But faithful lives. Lives that are actually transformed uh, by the word of God your heart has been uh, transformed the word of God instructs your ways the word of God informs your practices you are you are a different person because of it in Matthew 28 Jesus says that the life of a disciple is a life of teaching others everything that Jesus commanded for us those commands for us those commands are all uh, that Jesus said and are contained in our Bible And Jesus tells us in John 5.39 that the Old Testament, all scripture points to him. And then obviously, you know, our New Testament, our gospels are about Jesus. And then the letters to the churches, uh, what the apostles wrote, inspired by the spirit to teach us how to live as Christians. This is where we are to live in the word of God. For a Christian, nothing should shape and transform our lives more than reading the Bible. Jesus himself used the Bible as his main place of refuge. When he faced temptation, when he faced persecution, when he wants to make social comment on ethics or things like that, he's talking about marriage in Matthew 19, he's to the Bible. No one's life was more dependent on Scripture than Jesus. No one's life was more shaped by Scripture than Jesus. Jesus underscores this, his dependency on Scripture, as we said, like in Matthew 4, where he's tempted And he responds to temptation, hey, it is written. He goes back to the word. He underscores his dependency, his need on on scripture when he's in debate with the Pharisees. And he would say things like, have you not read? Matthew 12, Matthew 19, Matthew 22. 
Jesus knew his Bible. And not merely because he was God in the flesh and, you know, from a certain angle he wrote the whole thing and it was magically in his head. In Luke's gospel, we get this, this, this story, this interesting little story, uh, Jesus, of Jesus just sneaking back, uh, to go to church. Who's, who's got kids who, who kind of sneak out of home and, and go to church, you know, without you looking and thinking, no one, not us. Well, where are our kids? Oh, they snuck off to church. What? We should follow them. No, here's Jesus sneaking back to church, back to the temple. What's he doing? He's sitting amongst the teachers and the scribes and he's asking them questions and he's reading the scriptures and he's learning about it and they're all amazed at his, at his knowledge and his input and his desire. And then Luke finishes off this little narrative there in Luke 52 around Jesus' childhood and his adolescent life of saying, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and with favor with God and men. Now, just in case you don't know, Luke 52, that increase in, in, in wisdom and stature is what overarches everything we do in, out there in Club Freeway. Like we're, we're seeking to increase our kids' knowledge and stature in the word of God so that they might one day fall in love with Jesus and become disciples. What do you think wisdom and stature is for this? What's Jesus increasing in wisdom and stature in his pastime? Is it sporting achievements, academic achievements, business success? Is it, is it, oh, family success, social media popularity, all the things that we would place priority on? No, that's not what it is. It's his grasp of scripture. It's his love of the word and how it shapes his life. Wisdom from the word of God stature in life from its influence and the question is how much time do you as a disciple spend uh, growing in wisdom and stature reading your bible disciples say yes to biblically faithful lives of wisdom and stature just hearing krista or nick read a little portion of scripture every sunday is not going to do it for you disciples say yes to getting into their bible so here's the question are you in a small group are you in a small group gathering around the world of god if you're not in one yet we want to get you in one and again down the back as you go out there'll be a form there where you can say want to be in a small group put your name down give us your details credit card details those kind of things we want them If you're not in a regular private study rhythm, start one. Get a devotional book. Uh, Get an app if you like. We've also got down the back as you go out, there's some bookmarks. I don't know if you remember when we did soap, scripture, observation, application, prayer. Real simple stuff just to help you, get you going in this kind of thing. Bookmarkers down there. Get a reading plan, a yearly reading plan. You can get great apps. Bible Project, they've got one called Read Scripture. It's, it's brilliant. You get a little DVD thing on your screen about what the book's about, and then you start reading it. There's plenty of help. There's plenty of stuff available, and we want to plug into that as much as we can. Disciples live biblically faithful lives, and you cannot live a biblically faithful life unless you actually read your Bible. Okay. Uh, you know what I said at the start, so don't panic. We're ticking along. Um, this was going to be one big message on eight different things that disciples do. We've cut it in half. 
because I didn't think you could take an hour and a half sermon today. So take a deep breath. This is going to be our last point. If you're sort of looking at your uh, notes there and you're thinking, man, he hasn't even got to the bottom of page one. Yeah, we've got to flip this thing over. Um, I should have packed a lunch. It's all right. Take a deep breath. This is our last point. Another area of life of discipleship that we should say yes to is fervent prayer. As Jesus lived out his humanity on earth, totally God, totally human, he had two main refuges. The first one was scripture, and we just looked at that, in his humanity. And the other one is prayer. It's just awesome that when Jesus models what it is to be a disciple, it's not done out of his divinity. It's not done out of things that we can't do. It's done out of his humanity. So it's perfectly obtainable. It's perfectly reasonable. You don't have to be God to get it done. None of it out of his divinity. All of it out of his humanity. All of it about relating to God as good father. Prayer is where we do that. The prayer of a disciple is a prayer that approaches God as good father. That's how Jesus approached God. All the time you hear it, radical language. My father in heaven, my father in heaven. That's the prayer Jesus modeled and taught. That disciples approach God as good father. Not some cosmic vending machine. Not some moody, kind of capricious, malevolent God that you have to try and please or impress. Or make happy, but good father. Often Jesus would pray alone, like we see in Luke 5, just to be with his father for intimacy, for strength, for comfort. The prayer of a disciple is enjoying the father, pursuing him, seeking him. Just want to be with him. Jesus also prayed in public and for others. And we see that in Matthew 19, we're praying for the children. We, we read about it in John 17. Jesus prays for every single person in this building in John 17. And those kind of prayers are to inform people about the nature of God, what God's like, how God is toward us. Prayer can be instructional. That's the prayer that we see uh, in, in Acts 4. They're praying scripture there. You know, when the church is being persecuted and they're wondering what they're going to do and they get together and they pray and they pray, they actually pray Psalm 2. They're teaching each other about who God is as they pray. If, you, if you're like, I don't know how to pray, problem solved because you've been reading your Bible, just pray scripture back to God. He loves to hear it. It's simple stuff. In Luke 9, 28, Peter takes, uh, sorry, Jesus takes Peter. Peter liked to lead the show. Uh, Jesus takes Peter, James and John to be in prayer with others. Prayer is fellowship. Prayer is, prayer is a common experience of God. Jesus, Jesus models a life of fervent prayer, but he also instructs us to a life of fervent prayer. He doesn't just leave it as some ambiguous option. Disciples pray uh, not because of what the Father has for them, but because of who the Father is to them. And Jesus says, you will pray like this. You will pray to the Father like this because you have a new relationship with the Father. In Matthew 6, Jesus gives an outline of what this looks like, of what fervent prayer between a disciple and the Father looks like. He says, when you pray there, not if you'd like to pray or only when times are tough, or, or but really... When you pray, this is a normal rhythm of life for the disciple. Pray like this. 
God is a good and great Father to be loved and worshipped. And you're just marveling at your new status in Him. You're His child and you approach Him as Father and His unmerited favor to you. There is wonder and praise rather than merely just working through a list of things that you'd like for God to do for you. Praying to your good Father. Prayer is also, though, petition. Here's the list. It's going after God night and day about life's issues, about daily need. God is wanting to hear that. And prayer is also for us about comfort and assurance. God forgives us, freeing us to forgive others. And notice this about this prayer in uh, Matthew 6. While Jesus uh, models his own private prayer in that, this is all corporate, this prayer. Give us our daily bread. Us, us, all the way through this prayer. This prayer is for a community, not just an individual. He instructs us to corporate prayer. That's another reason why the church is critical, that we would come together and pray for these things, pray for our needs. Let, 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 let us bear with one another's burdens. How do we do that? In prayer sometimes. How do we forgive our brother or sister in Christ that we will in prayer before the Father? Are you praying privately? Do you have a prayer life? In a group here at church, maybe in your small group, uh, one of the things that we're going to do is through that door there, in that room there where all those books are, we're, we're going to transform that. Uh, in, so if you want a book out of that room, get it now because they're all going. Um, we're going to transform that into a prayer room. And then during the week or during church, the church is open during the week, you'll be able to go in there and pray. Before church, you'll be able to go in there and pray. After church, you'll be able to go in there and pray. One of the things we're going to do in response to how it is that we get traction around being disciples who are engaged in these things that Jesus instructs us to do. How are you? How are we saying yes to the means of discipleship that God has placed at our disposal? We just talked about stuff that we can access right now. Nothing crazy about it. Do you need to get baptized? Have you committed to a spiritual home? Are you allowing God's word to shape your life in a small group or in private times? And is that shape, is that word then being stirred into action, transformative instruction in your life by the Spirit of God as you pray? A simpler step might be, hey, just go and, and sign up and we get you in a, in a, in a small group or we, we chat about church membership or baptism. And that's what we're hoping here today. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for all... Well, we thank you for this life that you call us into, this life of discipleship. Uh, In in knowing you as good father and in in being like Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and brother. But you, you give us all that we need. To, to flourish in this life, to thrive in this life, to, to have life in the full, as Jesus says. Your word, your people, your spirit and prayer. Would we more and more with increasing measure, with increasing desire, would we seek these things? Would we just 
really, I mean, love gathering together. Where else is it that we can be encouraged with each other, that we can look across the room and say, hey, man, there is someone who knows what it's like to be a Christian and, and we just go on through this stuff together. And then we're pushed back out in the world to share that story, which is the other aspect of discipleship, that we would share the story of grace on the God who saves sinners, who loves people. Make this real in our lives. Make us disciples who are just um, loving to know you and pursue you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.